Welcome to the college basketball offseason. Um, the offseason in college basketball is busier than ever before. The portal is churning. The carousel has mostly finished spinning, but there are still some jobs out there. Uh, as we crowned a national champion on Monday night, UConn knocking off San Diego State by 17, wrapping up a unbelievably dominant run through the NCAA tournament and giving the Big East a national championship, giving Dan Hurley his first national championship. I am back from Houston. I am back from a long month of travel, Brad. And I am ready for a break, but also we both know this podcast really shines in the offseason. We're talking transfers. We're talking play, coach and player movement. We're, we're previewing rosters. Yeah, we're good in season, but I think our best work uh, comes from April until October. Uh, we're excited to bring it to you. We know you guys are diehards. We know you guys want the content, and we will keep delivering podcasts as long as you guys want to listen. So, Brad, how are you? How are you dealing with the, what, 48 hours post-college basketball season? Well, I'm liberated. I just canceled my cable. What are you do for the NBA playoffs? I'm punting. I'm saving $107 a month. So, uh, sorry, Mr. Jokic. And you know, all, and, and Giannis and all the NBA stars, but I'm, I'm going to take my $107 a month and pass on the NBA. I guess. So if a game's on ESPN or ABC, you can watch that on ESPN Plus, correct? I think so. But if a game's on Turner, they don't put that on HBO Max. I don't think. I don't believe so. No. So you, you're a shit of luck. Um, but I guess we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Fair enough. Uh, I will watch the NBA Plus. I, I do look forward to it. I do like basketball. We, um, we are junkies for a reason. But I'm also excited to like watch real television, like go out to eat and not be like waking up in the morning, worrying about basketball, going to sleep, worrying about basketball. Uh, it is what we do. Obviously, it's what we love. But you're not worried about the portal. I'm a little worried about the portal. What happened to Sienna's roster? They're all they're all in the portal. Only Seattle only lost two players in the portal. The problem is they only had three worth knowing, and two of them are gone. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, look, I mean, my 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 take on all things portal right now is like we talked about this last week. Like the money shit has gotten so out of hand. Like you just like everyone's going to turn over their roster. There's going and, and I think the portal has slowed down a little bit in terms of raw quantity. But the quality is still coming in. And Brad, like, I I think if you talk to people around the industry, there's an expectation that there will be plenty of more good good names going in as guys realize what the market value is, right? That there are certain guys who have made deals or in or I don't know how to describe this best. They've made deals or they've like verbally agreed to a, a deal, but now that they're seeing what other people are getting, they're going to consider going to the portal. And there are a lot of crazy numbers out there. I mean, we're talking mid six figures for guys who are probably not among the 50 best transfers in the country. It's, it's, it's hard to fathom where all this money's coming from. When, when it dries up, you know, we were saying last week's free agency. Of, of 2016 in the NBA with the salary cap spike. They didn't smooth it. They didn't understand. And all of a sudden, you had backup centers who just happened to be free agents that one year making $15 million. 
uh, and then like better backup centers who happen to be free agents a year or two later on the minimum. Um, we're going to see stuff like that. I guess, does it really matter in this grand scheme of things if these rich people are spending their money poorly and on guys too early? It, I, I, we will find out, right? It's going to be interesting to see how this all plays out. Uh, but but the money's real. The money's coming in. If you want a starter, we're saying uh, we're, we're we're hearing what mid six figures to get a starter in the portal. Yeah, low to mid six figures for a starter, probably. I mean, a good starter potentially higher. For for these cash strapped programs, you got to turn this into Oakland A's, right? Where I I think the the market inefficiency is going to be getting these high major, you know high three-star, low four-star guys who didn't play as a freshman or a sophomore and just giving them a shot um, and, and see if they can develop and, and, and still be a high major player. You know, like, um, just just because just I have Dillanova up in front of me right now, like a Brendan Housen or on Purdue, like a Camden Hyde, you know, a guy like that, who they, they were a solid recruit, not great, but if they hit the portal um, – the cash-strapped high-major team should go after those guys and hope that they can develop into a good player by the time they're junior and senior. And I think, and I think, and this is a good way to segue into Final Four. Like, I think that was on display this weekend, particularly when you just, you know, you look at the, the the way that the four teams in the Final Four were built, right? Miami's recruited multi-year, high-level high school guys, like in the 75 range, and then they've filled in with the with the big transfers they've had the resources to do that with with pack and omir obviously yukon has recruited the like 30 to 75 ranked high school players and then filled in with the transfers uh, and got good transfers but like even tristan newton was not like the best transfer on the board right they didn't get like even nigel pack level transfers um san diego state newton, is newton had, had great numbers but like no one thought he was gonna i mean it, no as late as like November, people were like, I don't know if Tristan Newton's even that good. He's going to be the starting point guard, but he's not a point guard. And now he's a national champion. I mean, I'm still not sure he's that good, but that's his own thing. Um, he was good enough for what they needed. Um, and then San Diego State was a nice, was that balance of long-term high school players. A lot of them had Pac-12 offers, but like low three, low four, high three-star guys, and then some transfers. And FAU was a lot of high school kids with a couple of transfers and they took the transfers you were alluding to of that mid, that high major three-star kid who never had a chance of playing his first year and then transferred when they didn't play. That's Brian Greenlee from Minnesota and Vlad Golden from Texas Tech. Both of those guys were in coaching changes, but probably would have transferred either way. Even and, Jalen Gaffney. Yeah. Jalen Gaffney's the other transfer. My apologies, but really, I mean, like, those like those two guys in particular, Greenlee and Golden, had zero chance of ever playing their freshman year in Minnesota and Texas Tech. And they transfer, they get to the right level, and they're both contributors. I know Golden had a pretty rough game in the title game, but yeah. he was like stuck to the floor for some reason. Um, but yeah, I mean, so I I assume that you know and. Any team that's well, any SEC team is probably fine. 
in terms of bringing in the big box, I would assume most of like the Big East teams, probably most of the Pac-12 teams, are probably in trouble a little bit. I think the problem the big the, the teams like I think the problem at the big football schools is you're competing it right you're competing with football for that money. Right. But like we can assume that a guy who commits to a power school at this point has probably gotten something pretty substantial. Correct. In compensation. Correct. And I, I guess I guess the one question is, and we can move on to um, the game. Yeah, yeah the game itself. I, I do think the one question is because my I had a like I don't know if long standing is the right the right word, but I had a theory that I had a theory that essentially things would go backwards. Like last year, the market got crazy late in the cycle when there was less demand. It was post national pack this year. I I've, I've kind of wondered like what I'm like, I, I don't know what it will look like, but I'm, I'm almost curious, like, Will the big brands run out of money and all of a sudden guys be available for value later in the cycle? And the question is, is there will always be a desperate school and there's a, and desperate schools are how you create bidding wars. So Right. It's it's kind of like those um if if you if you ever did a fantasy auction draft where there are people that just blow their money and overpay for like LeBron or Giannis like right away, and the people who save their money. And you have a guy who's who's appraised at like ten dollars, but the two guy, you, you maybe he's a great value guy, like a you know a, a guy who, who who a lot of people think will 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 break out like a Tyrese Halliburton or something is in there for ten dollars. Um, and the two people with money left, if if you know, even though Halliburton's appraised for ten, they'll pay twenty five thirty for him just because their money's going to go to waste if they don't, and 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 they need these these good players. Yes, no doubt. Um, so the final four, the championship game, um, Houston. I know there's a lot of talk. Bad final four city. I would tend to agree, just because people were very kind of spread out. Like it was, it was hard to like be around all the people that you want to be around at the final four. The coaches, the agents. Like other than the pump party, it was just hard to see them. But I thought, I mean, I thought it was a, I thought the event was really well done. I thought the games were were really fun and really entertaining. Like even like, like there was some juice to the end of San Diego state UConn, which I wasn't sure we'd have. And that's all you could really ask for. I mean, it, it wasn't a, a, a great game. I mean, UConn right. control the throw, but, but UConn's one of the most fun teams to watch in the country. Uh, you know, with Jordan Hawkins, with those quick trigger shots, Andre Jackson in transition, you know, they, Klingon's one of the most fun guys to watch us dominate the paint on uh, on both ends. Uh, but then on the other hand, San Diego State aesthetically is a tough watch, right? They're incredible defense. They struggle to score. They play with a couple bigs. They want to pound it inside. Um, and then they they were just trying to go right at Klingon, right at Sonogo, and we're just really struggling with, with that length inside. They didn't have the shot makers. But at the same time, like if you're a Mountain West team and you're going to have an elite defense – you're probably not also going to have an elite offense, right? So something's got to give, right? For 
for a San Diego State team to get an elite defense, those players probably aren't as good offensively or else they'd be at Duke and Kentucky. Yeah, and I think there were valid, like valid, like thing holes to poke in San Diego State, and I think they have probably not recruited quite enough offensive skill and whatever. But like, yeah, like there's limitations to what you can do there. And you know, I, I thought they defended pretty admirably against UConn. They were right. They were they were in the game. They they kept the score in the 70s, low 70s, really, about before kind of the the, the garbage time stuff. It was just. You know, like, like I think so much of like how good UConn's offense was and how hard they were to guard, their defense was just overwhelming in 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 the tournament because of the length at the rim with Sonogo and Klingon, because of the size and physicality. Like City of State's got old big physical dudes. Like Kashad Johnson's a big dude. Nathan Metz is a big dude. Uh, Jaden Ladee is massive. Like all these guys are are huge. They're thick. They look like they could play linebacker. And UConn had all of that, but they were just two inches taller and three or four inches longer in, at every spot. And that's obviously a difficult recipe if you're, you're an opponent. So, you know, I give them credit. Uh, obviously, you know, was San Diego State the second best team in the country? Uh, I, don't, I don't think that's probably correct. But, like, they had a good run. They deserved to be there. I thought, hmm. like... I, I thought they had a really good game plan. Like I, I thought, yes, that there were shots that didn't go for for San Diego State in the first half. Like there was there were stretches where the the, the offense was was pretty poor. But they also like Micah Paris missed a bunch of open threes. Um, Tremel smoked that one layup, which is really bad. Like that stuff. <clears throat> that stuff is is backbreaking. You know, they were going to need to play a perfect game, and they probably played a B basketball against UConn. If they played a perfect game, they have a chance to win. But UConn was just so dominant in the tournament. They were undefeated all season long in non-Big East games. Um, they were probably even better in the tournament than they were in the non-conference. So many things to point to, right, from Sonogo's dominance to Jackson, you know, them figuring out how to use Jackson properly, to Hawkins' shooting, to Newton playing pretty well. <clears throat> you know, you can't label one thing. They were just... They were a very, very good team. And I, 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 I'm curious, like, there was a there was a question posed on Fields 68, and I saw posed on a few other radio shows today. Over under 0.5 championships for the rest of Dan Hurley's career, over would you take the over? Definitely. And one, would you take one and a half? Would you take the over? Would you say he wins three championships? No, I'll say he wins one more championship. Just just because UConn, for whatever reason, they just have that that magic whenever they have kind of a favorable situation right. in terms of their talent level, right? Like this year, they they were super talented. You mentioned their dominance in 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 the non-con. When when they put themselves in a good position, magic happens. Magic takes over, and they win it all. I mean, you, you look at previous years where they had. Just that that dominant guard, whether it be Shabazz or 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 Kemba, I mean that was the right situation to to just march their way through the tournament. Um, so so I'll take that they win one more. I mean they they were recruiting well. I mean even Kevin Ollie recruited pretty well to UConn. So now that Hurley has a national championship under his belt, I assume their NIL is very good. Um, 
they should have no problems. They, they have a killer class coming in next year. Um, Stefan Castle, who's a five star, people really like, is kind of like a like a do it all kind of bigger wing who, who who can handle the ball. And they have like a kind of an undersized scoring guard in Solomon Ball and a kind of bigger scoring wing, I guess, in Jalen Stewart. Those three guys are all very highly regarded. Um, and, and they'll probably add one or two transfers. If they get Klingon back, um, they'll be number one, I think, next year. So to play devil's advocate here, and I think I think the case is for sure on the side of, yes, he's going to win a championship, another championship, right? He's 50. He's probably got 15 more years minimum doing this. Um, he's got a great job that wins championships. They've won five in 25 years. Why they wouldn't win one in the next 15 would be, you know, why, would, why wouldn't they? They're going to recruit, whatever. Like, I'm with that. I also think this, right? Like, on the, on the, on the, on the devil's advocate side, Dan Hurley had never made the second weekend before this year as a head coach. He hadn't won a game in the tournament at UConn before this year. Like, I'm compelled to think that that's not because he's a bad coach, but I think before this year, I'm not sure anyone would have like spoken incredibly highly of Dan Hurley as like a X's and O's monster or, you know, whatever. And he has, he, he has kind of the perfect, he had kind of the perfect team this year in terms of NBA players, but multiple year guys, right? Like they had the right mix. It's really hard to win in the tournament. We know that. We look at the the group of coaches who've won it twice. That's Billy Donovan, Rick Pitino, Jay Wright, you know, like there's Bill Self. Like there are not many guys who've done it twice. It's a very exclusive club. And I don't I don't think of Dan Hurley in the same sentence as all those guys. And I think there's reasons to believe that he'll lose at least uh, Kamani Young and Luke Murray off of the staff in the next two years to head coaching jobs. Those guys have, obviously when you win a championship, that changes your interest level. And those guys have critical, are really highly regarded. So like, I'd say that UConn's not going to be good. Like I, I've, I've been third in my preseason or way too early top 25. I think they have a good case to be number one. Like you said, I think they're going to continue to recruit really good players, but I do sort of I, I, I do think like the the desk the, the oh they're destined to do it feels like a bit much given like I think before this year would you have said Dan Hurley was even a top twenty coach in college basketball? No. That, but that's how it works, right? You can't do it until you've done it. Right? No, I know. I'm just saying like do we do we do we magically think Dan Hurley now is one of the five to ten best coaches in the sport? Uh, without doing it out, I'll say uh, I'll I'll give you a tentative top ten. I mean, I I remember when Nate Oates was hired at Alabama, and people said that was a terrible hire. He doesn't know the geography, and now we all consider Nate Oates to be one of the best X and O guys. I know when when Musselman went from Nevada to Arkansas, the thing that the, the uh, diehards were all on board, um, and, and his heavy emphasis on, on the portal, almost to a comical extent. Uh, well, definitely to a comical extent. Um, but but that wasn't a sure thing by any means. You know, he, he was coming from a mid-major. So these guys, it's 
They just have to show it. No, no, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, like, like I don't know. I don't – like, obviously, he had a great team this year, and he deserves all the credit for that. I guess I just wonder, like, like it's incredibly hard still to win a championship. And, like, like, like is Dan Hurley a better coach than Scott Drew? I mean, I don't see why they're not comparable. I mean, I everyone, everyone hating on Scott Drew for years until he actually started winning. And I, I think they are it. probably comparable, but I also think Scott Drew's probably got a better resume. And I don't know that I would expect Scott Drew to win a title again. Now, maybe that's Baylor's not as good a job as UConn. It's a fair point. Uh, this is, again, I'm not, I'm not trying to bash you. I, I think like, I, I, you will not find someone who has been more in on this UConn team than me. Like, I was... I said as soon as they beat St. Mary's, they were winning the title. I've had zero doubt about that. Like they've 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 been a tough out. But I'm and and this not even say that I don't think that's the right side of the bet is still 0.5. Like I think it probably still is. But like it would be very hard for me to be at all confident that he's winning another title. I just think how hard it is to do. That confidence stems the confidence. And this guy's an elite coach comes from the winning. Before those guys won, people shot on them all the time, right? Like to a to an insane amount. Um, and then once they win, they get, I guess, honored or they get, you know, put put on that 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 pedestal, and then and then people think that they can keep keep doing it. But I mean, every great coach, you think to before they broke through and their, their whole coaching profile was littered with, with criticisms from the fans and media. It's true. Um, as for UConn next season, that's a good way to segue into the, so the way too early stuff and whatnot. Um, Hawkins is almost assuredly gone. Definitely gone. Um, Sonogo is probably the next most likely to leave UConn. There have been some like very like not kept quiet enough murmurs that Sonogo could potentially transfer. I mean, Andrew Slater was hinting at that last night. If you look at the replies, a lot of people seem to think Sonogo could transfer to Memphis. So I think the way I would frame the current odds would be. 45% 45% chance he turns pro. 40% chance he transfers, and 15% chance he just returns to UConn. You know, I, I I don't necessarily think he would be out of the running for like a two-way spot or not. I agree. But I agree. but Mem- Memphis has so much of that FedEx money that a, a, a two-way spot. In the NBA, if if you are on the NBA for the maximum amount of games, which, which I believe is 40, so if you spend all 40 of your games as a two-way player, you make $500,000. Now, we just went over that supposedly the dollar amounts going around for a starter in the transfer portal are probably a little less than that, but pretty comparable to that. 
So for Adama Sinogo, who's one of the best players in the country, Memphis, who has some of the deepest pockets in the country, we can assume, um, that that seems like it would be a match made in heaven where he can essentially be a pro. He, he can make that pro money. Um, and I don't think UConn really would mind it because Donovan Klingon is ready to take college basketball by storm. Now, if Klingon leaves and goes to the NBA – and they're left with neither Sonogo nor Kling, and then that's a disaster. So right, so 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 here's the way I put it: is I think this is going to drag itself out. I think Klingon is, or I think Sonogo, excuse me, is going to enter the draft. He's going to go through the process. He'll probably enter the portal as late as he can if he's going to train. If he's considering transferring, if he if he's not all the way in on the draft at that point, he will enter the portal, you know, May 11th or whatever the cutoff date is. He'll go through the combine process. He'll make a draft decision and then he'll decide where he's going. I think that, and and if not, and, and he could be using that portal time for leverage. Um, the question really for me with UConn, I think you can safely say that Sonogo is probably not back unless Klingon is gone uh, and that Hawkins is not, not back. The questions are Newton, who has another year, but like, I think was honored on senior day. Yeah, um, the the plan for Newton and Aline was both to go, which didn't make a ton of sense to me. But but Newton potentially, what he does, Jackson, who has boosted his stock quite a bit in this run despite his shooting woes, um, he's now all of a sudden a guy who would definitely get drafted, potentially get you know a guaranteed contract. I'm not sure he's a first round pick, but he could be in the 30s. He's he had those comments earlier in in the season about how you come to UConn to play for multiple years. If you want to do one and done, he could have been it, right? Whatever, which is of course nonsense, but I respect him for saying it regardless. So I think he's probably 50-50. And then Klingon, I think, wants to come back, but if he can be a first round promise, does that swing things? So as long as they get Jackson, like like as long as they get Jackson and Klingon back. I kind of think everything else can work itself out, right? Like they I have mean, that, Apple, they have, um, you know, Stan DR will be back. They'll get another, they'll get a guard from the portal. Um, they have Caravan back, who's really good. Maybe Samson Johnson's back, right? Like they have pieces, but obviously at the same time, there is a little, like there's a little bit, of of concern now because they've been so good that they're going to lose they're going to lose guys well so here's the thing with the fringe draft guys Klingon and jackson right so Klingon, maybe he's a late first round pick we're saying probably he's a second round pick the 2024 draft Klingon. Klingon. i think Klingon would be a first round pick if he goes in either way the 2024 draft is supposed to be very weak and if Klingon can show out and really, you know, Walker Kessler at Auburn and ha- have that type of year, then he could see a real big gain in, in uh, his his draft stock. That's not like, a, oh, maybe just come back, you're a fringe guy, and maybe you'll improve your draft stock. Like, Klingon is going to be a monster next year. And he could really play himself into, like, a really high draft pick. Not like top five, maybe, but maybe – lottery pick maybe a little higher than that next year so there's, there's real money there for him 
And then if you're Jackson, we all know you can't shoot. That's a pretty big issue in the NBA. So you're probably not any worse off just staying and betting on you can improve the shooting. Right? Like it's better to take the year and try to try to improve the shooting than to go like 52nd, end up in the G League and oh wow, he can't shoot. Well, you know, it's better probably better from a money perspective too with it with, with NIL to stick it out that one more year at UConn. So Jackson to me is tricky because like I think he thinks he can get better as a shooter. I I watch him and I see a guy who has zero touch. Right? You can fix shooters, you don't make shots. It's really hard to fix guys who don't have touch. And he is awesome at everything else. But the kid just like you do not miss as badly as he does so frequently and be a, and ever become a good shooter. I'd love to be wrong. I mean, that's trying try to think if there's any guys. I I mean, there, there are always guys who can't shoot and then, and, you know, end up being passable or whatnot. Um, but he is literally like a, we're not going to guard you guy. Um, and if he's going to be an NBA role player, you like there no no team is gonna be like all right we want Andre Jackson as our ninth man and it's it's okay that the other teams is not gonna guard him and he's gonna clog up the paint with his defender just standing in help you know like I mean Andre I mean they did do like I'm not sure how it will work in the NBA but like the way UConn spaced around him and used him as a screener cutter and passer was really effective. And right, like Hurley was saying, whenever the ball goes into the post, Jackson has to cut to the opposite right. block. Yes. But like, I don't think an NBA team is going to want to work around that much for their ninth man. You know? I mean, it depends on how much of an like. I don't know that he can be Draymond Green, but like, he was college's Draymond Green. Right. The, I'm just thinking that teams will be like. You know what? Andre Jackson's kind of weird. We're not going to play him. Instead, we'll just use like Robert Covington as our ninth man or KJ Martin. You know, just I don't. I don't think teams are going to be willing to move heaven and earth to find ways to use Andre Jackson. I think that is not going to use him. Fair enough. Well, UConn's in good shape regardless. I would be surprised if they're not a preseason top five team. That would that would take. Something that would take something I think relatively relatively weird, right? Like I, I, I think they need to lose both Jackson and Klingon. Well, I, I, I think if they just lost Klingon and Sonogo, that would be enough. Yeah. Because all of a sudden they would need a really good portal center and Jackson, like Jackson's a good player, but it's predicated on there being really good players around him. And if the best player around him is Stefan Castle, things might not be that good. Caravan is really good though, and he didn't really show his full his full arsenal. He was. Oh, I love Caravan. He can post up. He he can he can put the ball on the floor. He you know he's a inside out player. Um, and then just lastly, from a college basketball perspective, I think you could argue it's best for college basketball if Adamo Sonogo transfers. 
I completely disagree, and we're going to save this conversation until he potentially does transfer. But I think the optics would be like I, I think it would be better for like people like us, but it would not be better for like people who like it would not be good for the fans. I don't I don't think so. I, I don't think there's one UConn fan that would say I'm not watching UConn basketball anymore because the Donald Snow transferred. Now now maybe I'm wrong. But like Klingon is so good. Like don't don't you just want this, all the Donovan Klingon all the time in there? I mean the 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 Klingon comes off the bench and Sonogo starts turned into a most outstanding player in a national title. So like right, but probably what from 2020 to like what 2015, the Adama Sonogo. He's just going pro, not getting drafted, and just whatever, right? And we're losing that guy from college basketball. But With the NIL, we're at least keeping him in the ecosystem. Yes, I'm. I, I just think from an optics standpoint, it would be better for. I would be better for him to be. I'm going chasing my pro career. Than like, I the, then on Monday I'm being compared to Emeka Ogafor, and I'm saying I never want to play for another coach than Dan Hurley. And then on Tuesday I'm shopping myself around to see what others, whatever college might want me. Right. Cause it, I, I think it would just ruin a lot of like perceptions people have about college basketball. I think are very important to keeping people watching college basketball, but either way, let's talk about the other three teams in the uh, field or uh, the final four and what their look, outlook is. And then some other way too early stuff and a couple of portal things as well. Um, FAU has been being ranked top five by a lot of people, which I think is like batshit insane. Uh, I think it's fine from the standpoint that like everyone's going to move them down to like 15, 15-ish after the uh, portal and after teams like add players. And so maybe there's like a take to be had to like FAU today would be one of the five best teams to say to have more players returning. But I do think if like we enter the season and FAU as a preseason top 10 team, we're just setting them up for failure. Like, I don't think people understand that like FAU being like 39th, would still be like a wildly successful season at FAU. But the expectations now are going to be so ridiculous because of how good they were this past year with everything kind of clicking and and going right that I just, I worry about that. And I had them 15th because of that. So now on, on, on one hand, most years we see the, the perfect storm mid-major team take a step back the next year. On the other hand, their Ken Palm and their analytics were super high. And they're obviously returning most of the team in theory. Um, I think probably back back of the top 25 is probably right. Right. I, I just think the ceiling can't be higher than like 15th because I get Elijah Martin's good and I get that General Davis is good. But like – the rest of the roster does not look at all like a high major team. And yeah, I think you're gonna have to do some 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 real squinting. <coughs> and now San Diego State this year was a team where testing my theory, which did not go out <clears throat> that the anointed mid major team is doomed for failure. I I was saying San Diego State had the talent. I was just removing them because of the odds yeah. of 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 them getting back there. Whereas Dayton, which was the other team everyone had ranked, I didn't think that they had comparable talent to the other high major teams kind of ranked in their range. Right. This Florida Atlanta team, yeah, their their talent is not going to measure up to a portal 
assembled roster. Well, I I I I think their talent like they they looked the part like against and I know K State and Tennessee both had like their limitations, but like they did not look out talented against either of those teams, right? Let me let me throw a hypothetical for you. Now Xavier has two guys who I saw are are going to visit, right? They have Davion McKnight and Quincy Olivieri, right? So if if uh, if if Xavier's starting lineup. Say it was Davion McKnight, Quincy Olivieri, Desmond Claude, Jerome Hunter, Zach Fremantle. I would take FAU. Yeah, so would I. But, right, like when you're getting to top five, you're basically saying, like, I would pick them to win the Big Ten. I would pick them to win the SEC. No, no. Anyone. I said back to the top 25. No, no, no. I know, I know, I know. I'm saying the people who are picking them top five. Right. Like, like he's there in I think ESPN, CBS, and the Athletic all of them top five. To me, that's crazy. And I, I and that's not a knock on them. They're really good. They really are. But they don't. I don't think they should want to be top five because anything else is going to be a failure. You know. Well, I mean, it's going to be they. They're going to be the hunted, and they're going into a stronger league. Which ironically, now I I left for dead, but now there's a pretty in pretty intriguing battle at the top between Memphis and the Florida Atlantic. No, it's it's going to be a compelling league like for the next couple of years with UAB and North Texas and Memphis and FAU. But when like Dusty May leaves and Andy Kennedy leaves, like it's not going to be a good league. But it could be very compelling, especially if it's like a two-bid league, right? Like the games are going to be pretty competitive. The teams are going to be really good. And there's going to be like a, a sweat to, to that. But it, it could be like the Mount West. I mean, yeah, there's a need the the bottom to not be uh, as, as as gross as the American bottom usually is. That would be my concern. Yep. Um, and then on Miami, I have Miami as a top 15 team. Um, I think we can safely assume that Wong is gone. Obviously, Miller is gone. But you get Pack back. You get Wuga Poplar back. You get uh, Norchad back. And I think you can make a safe assumption that, like, John Ruiz will be funding a couple more good transfers. So yeah, they need that, that power forward to replace Jordan Miller. Um, and then if, and when Wong leaves, you could use another wing in there. Um, but yeah, with, with a pack Poplar and Omir top, top three, you're in, you're in really good shape. And I know a lot of people really like Michael Nwoko, the freshman coming in. He's like a big physical center. He's an act, active center. He'll come off the bench. He's on the world team for Nike Hoop Summit. Um, AJ Casey was like a top 75 recruit. Yeah, I was just about to point out Casey. I'm a big fan. And then ben, Bensley Joseph played a ton. Um, really defends. Really defends. Yeah. Great point of attack. He can play with 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 Pack in the backcourt. That'd be really cool. Beverly played some. I know a lot of people love Beverly dating back to his high school days. So yeah, they have they have a nice nucleus to work with. They just need one more. Scorer, I think. Yeah. But, and then the fourth is San Diego State, who I had is like right in the back end of the top 25. Their program is like their program has been good enough where I think you you give them a little bit of leeway and benefit of the doubt. Um. So I I've not done their depth chart yet. Who who is who is Departing San Diego State. So they, they think they're going to get Trammell back. 
So they're going to lose. So, 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 so the guys that they have to lose are Bradley and Mensa. They could get Ladie back. Um, they could get Johnson. Shaw Johnson back. They should get Micah Parrish back. They have to lose Adam Seiko and a, a Gueca rope. They have some talented young players like Elijah Saunders and Miles Bird and BJ Davis, who's a freshman. Um, so it would be something like Trammell, like their best case would be something like Trammell, Butler, Parrish, Kashad Johnson, and Ladie. That's would definitely that re- a tournament team, I think. Right. That requires a lot of COVID year, which I think they'll get. That's that's more of like a top 40 team to me than a top 25. Brian, Brian Dutcher said that he thinks they'll be better next year than this year for whatever it's worth. Um, you know, we'll see what they do in the portal, right? But I think you're correct. Like, that roster doesn't feel that good. The defense should still be good, though. I mean, they're not going to have Mensa, but like Johnson and Ladie, they're huge. They're active. You know, they can punish you inside. Parrish is good on the wing, and, and they got their backcourt back. So they they will need to add at least two rotation pieces in in the portal, um, which who knows how much money they have. I think that they have a decent amount, right? So you say? Yeah. Um, I don't have a great feel for it, but I would say they're probably in like the second tier, second, third tier. Um, so those are the four final four teams. Um, there are two big East teams that everyone's kind of putting in the top 10 Marquette, who some people have number one, including myself and then Creighton, who seems like a consensus top five though. Creighton, I do think. I think is going to deal with a lot more roster turnover than is currently being projected. Like they're going to lose. I think they're probably going to lose Shireman. There's a good chance they're going to lose at least one of Alexander and Nemhard. It wouldn't shock me if they lost both. They have already added Isaac Trout, who we both like, and we've talked about on this podcast in the past. I think as long as you bring back Kalkbrenner, and one of the two guards, they're going to be very good. But if they lose Kalkbrenner and all of a sudden it's like Fred King, even if they got Nemhard back, like if they got like Nemhard, if it's like Nemhard, Transfer, Kaluma, Trout, Fred King, that's like a media, that's like a 15 to 20 team. Wait, Kaluma's back? He could be. Maybe he's gone too. I, I just assumed that Kaluma would be the first to go out of those guys. I sort of did too, but I've heard other names first. So I'm hesitant to say that Kaluma for sure is gone. I think as long as they keep – I think if if you could pick any three to keep, Nemhard, Alexander, Cockburner, I, I think you can really build around – build like an elite t- t- title contender around those three. So I think if you're a Creighton fan, that's that's what you're hoping for. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. yeah. And I think like they have good NIL. They're paying. They, they they've recruited pretty well. Supposedly they have insane NIL. 
Yes. Like top top shelf NIL. Um, and you know Trout, we, we uh, touched on. Uh, he uh, Tony Bennett angered the basketball gods by by redshirting a top fifty recruit. That's just gluttony. Uh, and now he's off the board. Like every one of their bigs, I guess, is like, we're not setting screens anymore, Tony. Get us out of here. Um, and now we'll see if Trotz is starting four, if he's like a seventh man or something. But um, yeah, don't don't redshirt your top 50 recruits. You got to let these guys grow. Got to feed them some minutes. And maybe like it's possible that Isaac Trotz isn't good, right? Like it's possible that he's he. Like we're gonna watch McCray and be like, yeah, this guy stinks. Whoops. But like, I thought he was a good player in high school, and I can't imagine you lose more than like two games more by playing him over Ben Vanderplas. Yeah. And you know, maybe maybe Trout will sing next year, but when he's a senior, he'll be a monster. And, you know, the old old uh, Wisconsin uh, development path. But we'll see. Um. So Marquette, I think, has a good case to be preseason number one. If they bring the five back, we've talked about them at length. We don't need to do it again, but Oso and Omax would seemingly be the big decisions. Maybe you can question whether they will have the NBA talent, but and maybe they were a little lucky this year. But Ken Palm says they weren't lucky, like score-wise, they were just really good. So I have no qualms with like a preseason top three to five Marquette. Um, there's a lot of preseason early love for Duke, which makes sense, right? Because they have the nice combination of a good recruiting class, one of the best in the country, um, as well as some returners already with, with Tyrese Proctor coming back for sure. Derek Lively's already pro. We'll see what Filipowski does. Derek Whitehead is pro. Well, Filipowski is a big decision. Roach is a big decision, if he, if he whether he's back. And they probably could use a center. Ryan Young is supposedly coming back, but it'd be nice to have like a, a more dynamic presence at that spot. So, Jesus. So, where, where are we leaning on Roach? I would say lean return, but I don't know for sure. Proctor's definitely back. Proctor's gonna be a monster next year, and that's and that's one of the benefits of 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 the week draft next year is that Proctor could be like as you know top top ten pick. I mean, with, with his size, his playmaking ability, he's gonna hit shots. The sky's the limit for him. Um, so you figure Mitchell will start and Baco will probably start. And then Jared McCain's really good too. He's an excellent scorer. He started on U19 last year. I think McCain will be better as like a bench player, in my opinion, year one. I think next to a if if Roach were to leave, a big point guard in Proctor with kind of a more undersized score in McCain, I think that would that would work really well. Um, agree. But, but, yeah, I mean, with Roach and Brogger, having McCain as your sixth man uh, is incredible luck. Incredible Caleb Foster's luck. just okay. Um, James Shute is still there as of now. I mean, he's like a prototypical portal guy. Um, so a lot of people like TJ Power, can, can really stretch the floor, super highly regarded recruit. Um, and then you mentioned the center spot. I saw some people in the fall mention Sean Stewart. The plan for him was like a small ball five type. Could be. Mitchell obviously has the size where he could be a small ball five, although he was usually the – He's more of a wing, yeah. 
Um, and then Ryan Young, in theory, is back. Um, but I see Duke reach out to some, some some centers, I believe. I think they'd be a great fit for Ugana and Yenso. I was just about to say that. Oh, my yeah. God. This would be the perfect fit because people – I. I saw Samurai throughout uh, St. John's. I saw people throwing out Georgetown. But, like, Duke – this Duke team would be insane with Kingsley. The price Duke. for Kingsley is going to be very high. Uh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, probably under a million, but above 500. Yeah, his uh, handlers are very uh, – Involved. Yeah. I remember that from, from his high school recruitment. He's. I mean, people were were saying he was the best defensive center since like Nerlens Noel and Anthony Davis. Obviously, didn't get any run as a reclassified freshman at Kentucky. But if if you're gonna say this lineup for Duke next year is like Roach, Proctor, and, and Baco, Mitchell, and Kingsley, and then your bench is gonna have like Ryan Young and Jared McCain. I mean, that's that's like a one seed title contender type of team. Agree. And if Filipowski were to come back. That would only add fuel to the fire. The only question would be, at that point, do they then lose somebody? Because I have a hard time. Like, it's a lot of cooks in the kitchen if all of a sudden Filipowski's back. Right? Like, then you have Sean Stewart, Mbaka, who's like a 3-4. Mitchell is a 3-4. You have Power. You have Filipowski. You're going to be trying to recruit a center. Like, I think you'd probably have to vote someone off the island. but. Who knows? <clears throat> they look really good, though. I have them second in my preseason way too early. I have Purdue top five as well. I think people are going to underrate Purdue in the preseason because they're going to be like, oh, you know, same old shit, Fairly Dickinson, da 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 They're also like one one really good transfer away from being like the overwhelming favorite to win the national title in the preseason. Um, another team that maybe the basketball gods punished for their gluttony they last year they redshirted Trey Kaufman, who's a top 50 recruit. Now you have First and Kaufman coming off the bench uh, again next year. Brandon Newman transfer, he was a good fit with that group, but he's never really grabbed a major. He wanted to score, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they could use a another ball handler and another scorer on, on the wing. So I think they should be in the market for two transfers there. And obviously need Edie to come back, which I think he should. Why not? I think I think Edie will be back. And and you know, in terms of this backcourt, very different players, but similar vibes to the old West Virginia Javon Carter, Daxter Miles backcourt, where they both started all four years, and that paid huge dividends. Uh, after West West Virginia hit a bit of a bit of a lull uh, at, after moving from the Big East to the Big 12. They went back to their toughness, and they got those two guards. And Purdue's guards, their MO wouldn't be toughness. It would more be shooting and, and scoring. But Smith and Lawyer, having gotten all, all that experience this year, are going to be uh, a, a huge thorn in the Big Ten side uh, for years to come. Yeah. Agreed. Um yeah, I think I, I think there can be a lot of like unnecessary, like yeah, like there's questions about how they'll translate. Yes, they need to recruit in the portal. Yes, they need to get better. Like, 
that team was one of the best teams in college basketball this year. And they theoretically are going to bring everybody back. They'll be good again. Um, <clears throat> all right. And honestly, also, like, then just to wrap up on Purdue, sorry. Like, I think a lot of people have attributed Purdue's early season success to like, oh, well, they had Edie and they were more prepared to play in non-conference and all these teams that were figuring things out. Well, that's only going to be more the case next year when they have Braden and Fletcher back another year, whereas those guys were, were still figuring things out. So, like, they really might rip through the early season, depending on how they schedule. Uh, they are in Maui, so Maui is loaded, by the way. Uh, and then we'll move on. Um Maui 2023, the field, I don't know if you've, you've seen this, Brad, it is elite. So not. is in it, which stinks. Who is? Dominant. Oh. But they this field has Marquette, preseason number one for me. Purdue, preseason top five for me. Kansas, preseason top ten for me. Gonzaga, who, when the chips fall, will probably be top 15. UCLA, similar probably. Uh, Tennessee, who's obviously very talented and should get the guy Ziegler back. Syracuse is number seven, and then Chaminade is eight. That is a loaded field. It's going to be incredible. Well, because no Phil Knight birthday this year. So every field is going to be a little, little beefier. Um, yeah, that's a good point. So Kansas is going to bring back Dewan Harris and KJ Adams. That's a nice little nucleus to work with. Um, I'm just going to run through some other teams that I, that at least have some returners worth noting to keep an eye on for, from a way too early standpoint, Brad, and then we can hit a couple of the transfers that have already committed. Um, or have just hit the portal, excuse me. Um, Carolina has R.J. Davis and Armando Baycott. Like, to me, that's like a consensus preseason top 25 team as long as they don't screw it up, right? Like, they should be pretty good. Houston will be preseason top 10 with Jamal Shedd leading the way, even though Jarris and Marcus Sasser will go pro. Um, and you would imagine they will be able to hit the portal with relative success. Michigan State's getting a lot of love. We're still waiting on a Tyson Walker decision, and there's been some buzz about a potential backcourt transfer there. But they have a great recruiting class. They have potentially Walker back, and they have Tom Izzo. Um, Arizona, their backcourt is gutted with Kirk Reese gone, but you do like Kylan Boswell. And um, the front court, if it returns, is one of the best in the country in Tabellis and Ballo. Um, one thing that brings a lot back is uh, Texas A&M which brings back Wade Taylor um, and Henry Coleman. They'll be ranked, I would imagine, in the preseason. St. Mary's brings back Mahaney and Saxon. Um, USC has the recruiting class with Isaiah Collier. So that's just a few things to look forward to here for for the way-too-early crowd. It seems like everyone's was, was very similar. Like well, I, I, I was surprised to see almost universal – USC, that that was one. Um, you mentioned Texas A&M is bringing Tom back. It, it just felt like everyone's was very similar. Can I can I let you in on a secret? 
You guys all copied off each other's homework? I mean, not exactly, but like we all get to Houston on Wednesday and we're all like, oh shit, we gotta do these stupid way too early top 25s. And so we are sitting at the media tables in Houston and like Fanta's coming over and being like, oh, did you rank X? And I'm like, no, no, but I ranked Y. And then Borsello's like, oh, why would you rank Y? I have that guy, this guy leaving and that guy leaving. I'm like, well, I decided he was staying. So he's gonna, they're gonna stay, whatever. Um, we all have group, te- we group text about it. And a few of the early ones really set the tone. Like the Corsi and Heat Check both put theirs out early. So then people are like, okay, we can tail a little bit off of that. Um, so yeah, there's a little bit of, there's a few like interesting things. Like I, I ranked Maryland. Maryland could be pretty good. I ranked uh, Colorado with Eddie Lampkin and the uh, Silva and KJ Simpson and Cody, and Cody Williams. But I have heard that one of those two big returners might be departing. So that would dump them out, but we'll see. Um. So I, I guess I'll just stream of consciousness fire out some rapid fire questions. You mentioned Maryland being ranked. So obviously Maryland made a huge assistant coach hire, hiring Mike Jones. Well, it's not like Vir- Virginia Tech was like lighting the world on fire with Mike Jones in there, but Maryland's a better job, more money, in, right? Um, I've seen people say, well, Mike Jones, DeMatha, Hunter Dickinson, DeMatha. Hunter Dickens in Maryland instead of Georgetown. But like, would they play Julian Reese and Dickinson together? Yeah, I, I don't love that. Agreed. Yeah. Um, which, tailing off into Georgetown and St. John's, they have completely imaginary rosters right now. I at least know that Georgetown has visits from Jay Nepps, Hunter Dickinson, and Dontrez Styles. So there we get those three guys. And I think it's a reasonable assumption that Jaden Epps and Hunter Dickinson would be their two best players. Yeah. That's a bubble team, right? That's not... Mm. Yeah, it's not a top 25 team. I mean, Michigan was just a bubble team with Hunter Dickinson and Jet Howard and Kobe I'm not even sure it's, I was going to say, I'm not even sure it's a tournament team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when I wanted to rank St. John's just on, like, principle. Like, yeah, Rick Pitino, whatever. Especially when they announced that Soriano was coming back. But they literally don't have five players for me to rank at this point. So I was like, well, I can't do this. And if like Walter Clayton committed and like a couple other guys committed, I would have done it. But now this is my next topic here. So everyone's always like clutching their pearls about kids getting run off, and I think that's not a bad thing to clutch your pearls about. Like coaches are literally like, "Hey, dude, you suck. I want your scholarship. Give it to me and find somewhere else." Um. So people gen- generally thought that was bad. Rick Tino was like, you know what? I'm running off everyone. Everyone's like, oh, look at Rick. He's turning things around. He's getting stuff done. Yeah, he's got the culture was bad. He had no choice. So he ran off everyone except for their best player, Joel Soriano, which obviously you want to keep the best player. And then the two worst players, Muhammad Keita and Idrissa Treyor. And I, when, when, 
when this first popped up, it was like, Rick is going to run off everyone except for Joel Soriano and Drissa Treor. I was like, what? What gives Treor the spot over AJ Store, over Posh, over, you know, Dylan Wuzu, all, all, all these guys? And now maybe some of those guys may have decided not to accept Rick Pitino as their next coach and decide to leave. That's fine. But I was like, who knew that Drissa Treor was like this linchpin to the to, to the new era of St. John's basketball. And I guess he played at L- Long Island Lutheran, I think. He 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 played on a you know one one of those AAU teams. I'm not sure if it was Rens or which one. Um uh, but I guess he's just like a really great culture guy. He's a nice kid, apparently. Yeah, nice Rick guy. Connected. Yeah. <laughs> nice guy. Rick liked him. Yeah, so this roster right now has Brandon Gardner still committed, which he, he's a top seventy five recruit. I think Rick would want to keep him. Drissa Treor, Joel Soriano, and Muhammad Keita. Um, and now you can go through all these contact lists all you want. They are complete nonsense. Like I saw the kid from Niagara, Noah Thomason. He had like a crazy reach out list. And then today he said the four schools that are recruiting him hard are Butler, College of Charleston, Oklahoma, and somebody else. And like the contact list and the recruit hard list are like uh, from from completely different dimensions. So a couple a couple of of illustrate or reasons for that. Number one is that like most staffs, from my from my understanding, the head coach does not like tell like sign off on who to contact. Like the assistants, and especially like the lower level staffers now who can reach out they're just being told like hey reach out to anyone who might be good enough and like start the rapport right and then once you have a sense of whether the kid is interested then you bring them to your head coach and your head coach decides okay do we want the kid do we want to do a set up a zoom whatever right so you know noah thompson's going in and say oh 20 point game you know looks like he's scored he looks looks good player what you know, the director of recruiting at you know whatever high major is just gonna get his number and like text him, be like, hey man, um, you know my name's you know blankety blank. I'm from blank university. Um, we loved your film. We'd love to set up a call sometime, right? That's all they're gonna do, right? So that so that's that's a big part of it. And two, like Moss has said this. Like the reason they call every kid is that you don't know now who they actually want and who they don't. I think that's kind of true. And I think there are some staff that are embracing that to a certain extent, right? Like we want it out there. And there's also become just more coverage of it too, right? It's so many, there's so many people who are just texting these these players being like, hey, who called you? Who's called you yet? Like what you, who's recruiting you? Which is stupid. Partially because sometimes it leads to legitimate, um, legitimate like screw ups. Like I tweeted yesterday, um, Brandon Jenkins from Twenty Four Seven tweeted out like that Micah Handlogton was supposedly um, getting visited in home at midnight Thursday morning um, by the Georgia staff, but at noon. But but the live period doesn't start or the recruiting period doesn't start until noon. So th- that that in-home visit would be an NCAA violation. And so 
that violation actually happened or was this a miscommunication? It could be either. My guess is Georgia thinks didn't realize it was noon and told the kid, oh, we're going to come at midnight. And then probably found out, oh, we, we can't do this. But the kid didn't, d- didn't know yet. And the kid told the recruiting reporter, oh, this Georgia's going to come at midnight. And Georgia's not coming at midnight. But we'll see. Right. So that's it, it's, it's super tough with just the contact list to even tell where. You know, who, who's even in the mix? You, you would think a guy like Noah Thomas, who averaged 20 points a game in the MAC, would have a little higher level than those schools. But I think, really right, I think that's the right level. Maybe maybe he's maybe it's just you know kind of good luck because most players are getting recruited higher than they should go. There's not right. enough good players in the portal. But like like Noah Thomason at Butler makes sense. Noah Thomason at Oklahoma makes a little sense. Noah Thomas in it, like, I don't know, what's like a high level? Like St. John's, he'd be okay at St. John's. But Noah Thomas in it, like, Maryland would be a push, would be a stretch. See, we, we have to wait and see on that. And who these St. John's and Georgetown, totally imaginary rosters even look like. Um which next, let's see what else I wanted to talk about. Oh, we did Hunter Dickinson. Um, I guess just switching quickly to the to the ratings. Oh, yeah. A lot of people don't really understand how ratings work, I don't think. Where I saw some people saying, okay, obviously ratings are down. But, yeah, like, rating, like ratings are down everywhere. Like, like I, I just canceled my cable yesterday like everyone is canceling cable cables raising prices and now you could say well why is the women's game going up that's i i they they're they're doing well um but it's it's expected for ratings to go down ratings go down for everything whether it's ncis or the walking dead or cnn news i mean the 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 NBA ratings going it football is is steady or up I think women's basketball at least by what the media is saying seems to be up I don't know that for certain but like everything goes down and then I saw a lot of people pushing back with oh well Florida Atlantic their semifinal game was higher than the Villanova Kansas game last year which while it's true that's not a reasonable comparison because CBS is a broadcast network. TBS is a cable network. The broadcast networks naturally have higher viewers. Yes, more people watched it, but CBS is the most watched network. You don't even need cable to watch it. You need like a satellite antenna. Like a a rerun of Blue Bloods on CBS is going to do like five times the numbers of anything that TBS puts out the whole year. Yeah. I mean, my, 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 my thing on the whole ranking or the whole ratings thing is simply this, like the ratings were bad this year compared to last year. The ratings were probably bad because the schools in it were not as exciting. It was also a self-fulfilling prophecy of everyone said, yeah, the men's Final Four is going to suck this year. Yes, yeah. It all suck. And then we got there. Why would a casual fan watch it if all they heard was, yeah, like, like it was a story that the tournament was going to suck before the games happened. 
Um, and then finally, I think the thing that is worth noting is that the championship game is still the highest rated basketball game of the year and will be the highest rated basketball game of the year in anything. The NBA finals will not outrate the national championship game. So, um, you know, it is what it is. Oh, and then also we don't get paid because of the ratings. The ratings are not going to, the, the NCAA is not going to go broke because the 1 million fewer people this year watched it this year than last year. But one thing that we could do, right, is instead of a 9.20 start, how about we start with, like, 9 o'clock? We start, you know, what's what's the difference between 9 o'clock and 9.20? Except more people are going to watch on the East Coast, right? How, you know, kind of, kind of like I'm willing to compromise for the playing games. Well, you know, why don't we just make it all, all the at-large teams in the play-ins and let the 16s in? I'm willing to compromise there. How about we compromise... Turner, CBS, why don't we do 9 o'clock tip instead of 9.20? You will not get an argument from me on that front. Uh, let's see. Other stuff to talk about. I mean, I can, I can go off on the latest round of Providence disrespect where we were given... Last place, no, we were given last place Oklahoma in the Big East Big 12 Challenge. I did, I did see that. I'm very excited to go to Marquette versus Texas in Milwaukee, though. That'll be good. Marquette just got Baylor at home. They got back-to-back home games. We're getting back-to-back road games. Number one, number two, Oklahoma doesn't. They have like half a roster right now. They were last place in the Big 12. We were in the tournament. We came. We, we tied with the national champions, thirteen and seven. And Seton Hall gets to play at Baylor. Seton Hall team that doesn't score, that doesn't do offense, lost their center in the portal, Tyree Samuel. They they get Baylor and we get last place Oklahoma. Maybe maybe Cooley was ducking smoke. Yeah, Cooley. Uh, Put put that into fruition. Yeah, that's what you that, the, I think the Providence fans should just blame everyone. Blame everything on Cooley. This coming from the top. This this disrespect. Um, well, um, I I guess we haven't podcasted since the Kim English press conference. That was the, cool. We're all fired up. Yeah, the I'm I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna you, you can put away your list now. And I, I've, I've never went after a job. Those quotes were a little bit rich, but, you know. No, he never went after a job. ADs call him up and be like, hey, I was reading Sports Illustrated this morning. You want to get on the phone? <laughs> no comment. But, yeah, Kim English told the AD to throw throw your list in the trash. I, 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 I do have – I do think the AD's going to need his list again in five years. Maybe even sooner. I mean – Providence getting a lot back. Jaden Pierre is very good. Obviously, Carter and Hopkins are very good. Corey Floyd's very good. They just got Josh Aduro coming in. They need like a guy who can either be like a sixth man or a starter at the one or the two, who can score a little, can shoot some threes, can play some one. Um, and then I I think they could use like a combo forward that can shoot it. I think that that's that's the two things I think that Providence needs to fill out this roster. Uh, but but they should be pretty good. When you you know Kimmy's winning the off season with all this uh, all the content, you know. 
Oh, he is he is totally winning the offseason. Like every, everyone is galvanized. There were like three thousand people at his press conference. It was like a I packed told, house. I told you, like that, like that shit is electric. Like, oh man, we get to watch Instagram live of Kim English like talking shit with his players. Like people love it. Like we'll we'll see if he's good enough at coaching or not. I hope he is. I think he can be. But if nothing else, like for like two years, people are gonna be like, this is cool, man. This is rocks. Yeah, and. You know, he can do well before he's off to coach Tennessee or Florida State or wherever. Uh, Who's who's the next Kim English? Because Kim English isn't Kim English anymore, right? Who's the next hot, young, energetic coach that everyone's going to be fawning over? Drew Valentine. If he doesn't suck this year. I was thinking maybe Corey Gibson. I don't know about it if, if like he's an energetic guy or anything. But. He's not as like he doesn't have as much presence. Like he's not as known. Like I just think like Kim English has like the pedigree. Like I'm trying to think. I don't know. Um, what like what Kim has though is rare. Like the ability to connect with players. The ability to like woo big donors and big boosters and like like be on be good on social media, but also good in like rooms with old rich white people and smart and like connected. Like did did you see a Mike Mike DeCourcy's coaching grades? What do you do? He gave Kim English an A minus for Providence and then said, full disclosure, I just had dinner with him last night, but he's he's incredible. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually the, there is no better summary of the college basketball media than that. Like the, I had dinner with Kim last night. The dude was like very middle of the pack in the in, in the worst HM like ever the past couple of years. Gets gets the jump because he's like a cool energetic guy. Uh, and also the, the, that was that was a joint press conference with the new women's coach who was also like she seems like an electric energetic guy too, right yeah. So I think Knapp, uh, the the AD, I think he had a a singular qualification he was looking for in in a new coach. It was just like cool to hang out with, like vibes. Yeah, only yeah. vibes. Great, great vibes. See, I'm I'm going back and forth between whether it's better to have a vibes coach or a ball coach at a place like Providence, because. Who knows how long the vibes can last if 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 you don't have the football money nil. At the same time, he seems to have kept this team together this year. He's probably going to get some pretty good transfers in. They could be really good next year. If they had a ball coach, they probably don't keep those guys. They probably have to take a bunch of three star recruits and then we give them a round of applause when they squeak out an nit. But I'm still conflicted on that. Point. Um, on portal guys, quickly. Um, I don't really care about talking about the guys who haven't committed yet, but like some commitments. Jameer Nelson to TCU. That felt very much like whoever has the most money to pay. Very random fit, but they are losing Mike Miles. He could play a similar role. Um, Eddie Lampkin to Colorado. Um, weed is legal in Colorado. No further comments there. Well, it's, um, it's illegal everywhere now, right? I don't. I, I doubt it's legal in Texas. It doesn't seem like it's illegal in Texas. 
Oh, is it like a red state, blue state thing? Might be, yeah. I don't I don't know anything about. I think Lampkin does I know people compare him to maybe like an Evan Batty type of player. I don't he's not as skilled as Evan Batty. No, but. Batty could shoot. Like, like, Lampkin is just enormous. Right. I I like the enormous center. <laughs> Yeah, Lamb is enormous. He's gonna hammer the boards. He has pretty good touch. Like, like if you have a small front line, he he's gonna like come in and dominate you. Yes. Um, who else has committed? Keon Menafield to, to Arkansas. Just rolling through the depth charts I've done. I've only done 46 of them so far. We touched on Fernandez and Josh Oduro to Providence. Um. Kansas need, needs a lot of portal help. They need, like, at least two starters in there. Um, URI got Jaden House, who averaged 17 a game at high point, but um, that roster's in rough straights. They need Jaden House is a good player, though. Very good player. They, they need, like, at least three transfers. I, I did also see that Kenny Johnson, the URI assistant, uh, Obviously, former Louisville assistant might be getting an Alabama assistant job. I think I saw either Andrew Slater or one of those people had that. Um, so that could be a blow to URI. Um, Memphis took Nick Jordan, which is weird. He's not very good. They're also like they have a lot of freshmen. Like they don't That's, have unlimited spots here. But two um, Ashton and Jaden Hardaway don't count. I think Ashton does. Is that not Penny's son? I don't think Ashton is Penny's son. Because I was thrown off by the Hardaway. I was too. But I don't think Ashton Hardaway is related to Memphis. <laughs> Never mind. No, no, it is his dad. Never mind. Okay. Um, um, yeah. I saw it, a crystal ball pick for Jamison Battle to Ohio State. There's a bunch of crystal ball um, going on, actually. I was surprised how much. Oh, did uh, Eugene Brown Porter uh, portal? He did. I'm looking at this now, that makes more sense. There's some crystal ball. Uh, Kirk Reese to West Virginia. I think that's going to be horrible. That, that that already happened, yeah. That already did happen, yeah. Jordan Wright to LSU. He's a good player. So, yeah. We got to see more of who, who who's coming and going for this LSU roster because there's a little overlap right now. Yeah, but too early. Uh, I I saw that they got a a on three crystal ball pick for Amari Abram from from o- Ole Miss. I like Amari Abram. Um. Oh um. Why not ask about this? So LJ Cryer leaving Baylor. He says he wants to play point guard. Yes. Was he not playing point guard? Flagler was playing point guard. Okay. And Flagler's back? No. Definitely gone or weighing options? Uh I don't think it's officially gone yet, but like no one expects him back. So LJ Cryer was like worried about Miro Little or like a transfer or I just or don't think Drew ever thought he was going to play point guard. Oh. See, he's he's going to get a bag somewhere like Illinois or somewhere like that. Even though he's not a point guard. That'll be funny if they don't let him play point guard at his new spot. But, I mean, 
Illinois just played Jaden Epps at point guard for, you know, as as a freshman. For like and they season. hated that, and that's why they let him walk. So now they're bringing L.J. Cryer. Correct. I want I want Illinois to get Hunter Dickinson, but I don't think it's going to happen. Purely for content. That's that's another team with a very imaginary roster, right? Because they they have Harris, Rogers, Goody, Danger, but that that needs a lot. But they have uh, they, they think there's a good chance they're getting TJ back. Okay. And like so, Hansberry is supposed to be good. But they need like three in the portal, three good ones. Like Olivia Kamala would be a great fit with that. Yeah, he would be. We'll see. Um, one coaching hire we didn't talk about last week because it hadn't happened yet was Mike Rhodes. Are you a fan of the Mike Rhodes hire? It's probably gonna be just like fine. Yeah. I mean, I. I wasn't a huge fan of hiring Micah Shrewsbury, the assistant, and they, they at least got to the one tournament. Uh, but but that cover was going to be bare. So Rhodes can basically start from scratch. He'll probably bring over Ace Baldwin, which is a good place to start. I guess it'll be interesting to see if he keeps the same style of play. I hope If he does, I hope he gets to bring back Mahaffey. Yeah, he'd be perfect. I'm a huge Evan Mahaffey guy. He had a stretch where he was playing a lot, and he was playing center and being super disruptive. Um, he wouldn't play center for Mike Rhodes. He'd probably play like the two. <laughs> anyway. Um, anything uh, else? Namari Burnett, who's going to have to sit, you'd think. At Michigan? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, where's the clarity with this stuff? How do we not know? If, I mean, I, I guess they did say that they will have to sit. And the players and the programs are saying, like, I dare you that I, I dare you that you won't make them sit. Um, well, like la- last year, last year, like very few coaches seemed worried about it. This year, more coaches are worried about it. Let's put it that way. Well, how about uh Washington gets Moses Wood, but then loses Menfield and Noah Williams today. Um, no, they're, they're shuffling things. Yeah. They've spent big money on Wesley Yates. They've spent good money on Braxton Mia to keep him. Um, they've spent good money, from what I hear, on Moses Wood. Um, and they supposedly have spent good money to get another power forward who went in the portal this week who could commit at any point. Interesting. Washington's spending money. I'm not sure they're spending money properly. I would have spent right. all the money I spent on Moses Wood to keep Keon Menefield. But. Right, like, so Mike Hopkins is probably making a push. He's, you know, this is, this is probably his last year. He's on the hot seat. Yes. So he wants to make, make the best team possible. But this is where the NAL stuff doesn't make sense. So he's like going to these boosters and being like, I know this is not going well, but like, just give me more money and, and I'll fix it. He might have the boosters on his side. That might be why he hasn't been fired yet. Well, so if they can get this no name power forward that you mentioned, and if they get a point guard and 
Kepnang's healthy. They'll they don't pretty, really need Kepnang. They have Braxton Mia. Right. Mia's a starter, and then you'll have a, one of the best backup centers in the country if Kepnang's healthy. But they need a point guard. Point guard market's a little shallow, right? Somewhat. There's a lot of coming. Like, like it depends on how you define like Walter Clayton and Tyler Perry and guys like that. Oh, those are point guards, yeah. But like, I I think the thing that's in abundance in the portal is like a six four two guard who averaged 15 points a game at the mid at at the mid major level. Correct. There's seemingly one of those every day. Yes. One just committed to Wisconsin, Noah Reynolds. Yeah. <laughs> who can really score, but he's not a very good shooter, and he's very small um, for a two-guard in the Big Ten. And also, he was like, supposed to be going to Green Bay. And Sundance Wicks, the head coach of – or the, the assistant coach of Wyoming got the Green Bay job, had obviously coached Noah Reynolds at Wyoming and was hired and, – and has hired his brother to be an assistant. I mean, that still was not enough to get Noah Reynolds, apparently. Wisconsin has, like, weird portal strategy. It, oh, it doesn't horrible. seem to work. <laughs> it's, it's fake, like, friends of family. It's like, it, it, you have to be, like, a friend of the program in order to get to, to go to Wisconsin. They they go after guys early that they will definitely get. Put it that way. <laughs> they're, 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 they're working way off the board. Speaking of kind of maybe the weirdest transfer hall so far, West Virginia, okay, they get oh Creasa. He's a good player. Omar Silviero, that was a weird take. He was like, you know, we we literally just talked about these like 15-point-per-game guys in abundance. He was like a 10-point-per-game guy. Um, and then Jose Perez, who's all over the place. Um, and they probably need one more guy. Well, it's it's. I I actually think West Virginia is gonna come gonna be terrible because Kerr's not actually that good. No. Um, I don't think Jose Perez is good enough. I certainly don't think Silverio is. I mean, Silverio. Like I remember last year we clowned Cal because they took Dewan Clayton from Hartford, and Dewan Clayton the previous year had played at Coppin State and transferred to Hartford from there, and then went to Hartford again, and the stats were the same. Okay, like what what changed? Um, same thing here, right? A year ago, Omar Silviero was like a good get for Manhattan. Now Omar Silviero is a take at West Virginia before you even see the portal. Like, what are you doing? And then you spend an ungodly sum of money on Kirk Risa. Kirk Risa's price it it is not the highest price of any player who will get money this cycle but it's the highest price of any commitment that is in my market marketplace so far. I saw a Xavier fan said 500,000. Is that up? It's more? Yes. It is over 500 and less than 750 is the number that is beaded around. Which a lot of people keep talking about how these international guys can't get the NIL, but that's just not the case, I guess. They're figuring it out. Yeah. But yeah, so if but Chris Reese, like actively was not a very good basketball player. So this West Virginia lineup, obviously there are there are front courts back, and so it, 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 it's a good physical front court, right? But 
we're going to say the starting lineup is probably Carissa, Toussaint, Perez, Mitchell, and Bell. That's a horrible team. Yeah. And now, although they they were better than we expected this year, definitely. Eric Stevenson was better. Um, yeah, that that team wasn't that good on paper either, but like. But Kenny Johnson was unbelievable. Right, but like this, this is the stuff about the NIL that that makes no sense. Who is this booster that's paying, say, six hundred thousand dollars for Kirk Creesa to have West Virginia be an eight seed again? Like, why does this booster pay that money to get in, get his team to the level of like an eight seed? It's like the 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 teams that are paying out to every scholarship player. Like, why did you pay that money to the thirteenth man? Like, you just lit that on fire. Like, what what are you doing? It is. I, I actually, it, it would be really funny to like talk like very serious like put like electrodes on the brain of some of these boosters and like see see what they're like coming off with like what's i also think it'd be really 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 interesting to do a retro retro retrospective study after the season and see how many guys got the money they were paid like like for instance like a kid <laughs> like a kid like a, like a, i know of a high major kid transferred last off season who was promised a hundred thousand by his new school and supposedly got one thousand of that of the hundred right but now, that information isn't widely disseminated, right? So Correct. that school's doing the same thing again this year. Theoretically, although yeah. anyone who's in the camp of that kid, we're right. Like, so let's say, like, like, if the kid was from Dallas, let's say, it might make its way around Dallas circles enough to, like, it's going to be hard to recruit Dallas, you know? Yeah. And so is, is that case, you think, the coach made a, a proclamation – Use some vague wording, uh, and, and did not have the booster to back it up at, at that time, and then ended up not having the booster's commitment. I don't, I don't know the specifics to uh. say. It could be that. It could be the coach just was like, "Let's, this kid isn't good enough. Let's both hold the money, whatever." I don't know. Anyway, it's why it's it's Wild West. It's fun. It's very weird. I think for fans, it's really hard to track because like. Like you said, it's hard to know who has the NIL and who doesn't. And kids still like to say in their interviews, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm looking for the best fit. Oh, I love the campus. Yeah, you like the $100,000 that came with the campus. But anyway, uh, any other closing thoughts from you, Brad, before you wrap this bad boy up? Yeah, so I, I, I have two. First of all, I, I was thinking of pitching to you or maybe even like tweeting out, you know, Jeff Goodman or someone to be like, hey, do like an NIL ranking by, con-, you know, like – how how they did like the best programs in every conference. Yes. Like an NIL one every conference. But then I was like, I don't know if I want to see that information and have Providence be like ninth. And then other schools can just go around saying, Oh look, Providence doesn't have any money. See, they're ninth in the Big East. I can promise you Providence is better than at least three Big East programs. In NIL. Well that's not very reassuring. I, no, no, no. I have no idea if it's higher. It very well could be. I just know for a fact it's better than Seton Hall, it's better oh. than Paul, and it's better than Butler. I think there's a good chance it's better than Villanova. Um, I would imagine it's worse than UConn, worse than Creighton. Definitely worse than Creighton. Probably worse than Marquette. 
And the yeah. others are St. John's, who's like incomplete because it's going to be better, um, but it may not be yet. Because St. St. John's has the vitamin water guy. Yeah. Obviously, Creighton has Warren Buffett. Yeah. Um, Marquette, I think their guy sort of like REI, I think. Uh, obviously, UConn's a state school, so they have like a million alumni. I'm trying to think who else would be who, – who else in the Big East? Xavier. Xavier, Xavier and Providence might be relatively similar. Um, Georgetown supposedly, according to anonymous rumors, had promised Cooley $3 million in NIL. Um, which that's that's the right amount to build a championship team. It's just I wonder if Georgetown and St. John's are going to run into an issue where they just like can't get the first commit, where like er- everyone wants to be on a winning team and they can't like get past the fact that you have no players. I wonder if that'll hurt them. Like, not not. I'm I, I'm not saying a player is going to turn down two hundred thousand dollars nil from Georgetown because they don't have any players on the roster. But like, if Georgetown's competing against a team with comparable money, it might be harder than maybe people think to sell guys on starting a, a roster from scratch. And that's a good take. And as as. As we said earlier, right? Hunter Dickinson, Dontre Styles, Jaden Epps, having that as three of your starters, that's like a bubble team at best. Um, Correct. Anything else basketball you want to touch on? I want to touch on TV a little bit before we signed off. Yeah, hit, hit me with your TV takes, and then we'll wrap it up. Well, I mean, now now that basketball season's over, I mean, we're in full – Full TV mode. I wanted to know what you had in the hopper. What? I have zero plans. I have zero plans. Okay, so I, I guess I'll start with what I'm doing now. Actually, actually, I have one plan. I'm going to watch The Recruit on Netflix, which everyone says is very good. It's eight episodes. Similarly, the, the Netflix show that's out now, The Night Agent. That was made by the guy who made The Shield, which yeah. I don't know if you, that's that's a very popular show from the early 2000s, uh, and and that show is like dominating in terms of viewership on Netflix. It got renewed after five days, which is like absolutely unheard of. Um, but so cur- currently right now I'm, I'm I'm watching season two of Hunters. Hunters is a great show. It's a fictional show about Nazi hunting, um, in like the 70s. Season one aired like right before COVID, and then there was a huge delay. So this is the second and final season that aired a couple months ago. I'm just catching up now. That's that's a very good show. It's it's very pulpy, very fast. There's a new season of Succession, which I will be watching as well. Yes, yeah, so we're we're two episodes in as as we speak on that. I mean, it's still one of my favorite shows, but I I am starting to get weighed down by the repetitiveness of it. Fair enough. For me, season two was like one of the best seasons of TV ever. Um, but since then, for me, and you know, you can think back, and there's still some amazing, hilarious moments in season three and whatnot. But uh, I think I'm ready for the conclusion of Succession. Um, and then one show that's coming out, actually a month from today, 
that I'm super excited for. I'm actually reading the books now. Uh, it's called Silo. It's going to be on Apple TV. It's a dystopian show. I love my dystopian shows. Um, so, so Silo, it's, it's a show about this society of people in the future, and they're living underground in in a huge silo. This has been like an apocalypse. Um, and they are forbidden from even talking about leaving the psycho leaving the silo because they say it, it, it's a wasteland out there you'll die of the toxicity um but there, there's a little uh um questioning if 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 everything is 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 as it seems um so that's coming out on apple in a month that that looks really good Re- really great cast and have uh rebecca ferguson from dune gonna have uh tim tim robbins it's got a loaded cast there well there's your tv update with brad folks if you're looking for that i'm sure he'll give plenty more during the i uh, I could i could literally talk about tv more than basketball i could just drone on uh for hours and hours on end so if anyone needs any tv recommendations I, i i've seen now i've seen 243 shows start to finish so I'm not a TV expert yet. I think maybe when I get to 500, I can call myself a TV expert. Well, I'm excited to see Brad when he when he is officially an expert. We'll see if he starts a podcast, uh, and we'll go from there. Folks, appreciate you listening, and we will uh, we'll see you all next week. Plenty to get to. <laughs>